Good evening, Project Church. Everybody happy to be here? I love how relaxed it was. I felt like I was like in throwback, like Sunday night services. How many people remember those? You know, not, maybe not all of us grew up in church, but I was raised being drugged to church. And I, it was just like deja vu seeing my kids up here with crayons and things. And I'm just like, shh, everybody's trying to pray. And I'm like, but do you want to worship? Because I still want to like ingrain that in you, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, it was like throwback. So it's so good to be here and nice to be laid back. Lovely to see all your faces. But I am really excited about the word that God's given me this week. Um, man, he's just been really rocking us, I think, as we've dove into the word and gone verse by verse in Colossians. Have you been enjoying it? Um, Good. And and you know what it's done in me has given me this greater hunger and desire to get in the word more often and dig this deep more often, you know? So I hope the same thing is happening for you. But um, again, we're in the middle of a series called Jesus is Enough. Um, it's a study going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And so Caleb has preached um, from Colossians 1 all the way to Colossians 2.5. But we've covered quite a few things. We've covered how to walk worthy, how to walk a consistent life, how to walk out wisdom. And today we're talking about how we can walk a rooted life. How we can walk a rooted life. And when we live rooted... What I believe happens is that we make a greater impact in this world. When we live rooted, we make a greater impact. And when I think about the impact that I ever wanted to make in my life, I think about when I was um, probably about third or fourth grade when I recognized that I had this incredible talent with basketball. I'm just kidding. I really liked the game of basketball. And um, I I just really loved everything about Michael Jordan. I grew up in Southern Illinois, and so we loved the Northern Illinois team. Jordan was huge. Um, Of course, I wore all his jerseys. I was a total tomboy. played basketball all the time. And so I just imagined this scrawny little Filipino girl with this oversized jersey, like, rocking it like it was her job, you know? And so it was like I had the red one with the 23, the black one when he was 33. I followed his career. I loved the man. And I thought, you know, that life of an NBA star is one to want. And so my impact that I thought I would make at one point in my life, I'm being a little funny, but actually kind of serious. My dream at the moment, if that, in that moment in time, was that I was going to be the first woman in the National Basketball Association. I was going to be the first woman, okay? But then something happened, And my dreams were totally dashed because something called the Women's National Basketball Association came along. The WNBA dashed my dreams. And I'm like, there I go. There. Well, now what am I going to do? I just totally ruined my plans. All these other chicks who are awesome at basketball, you know, they're, they just ruined my chance to like just, you know, break that glass ceiling, whatever. I wasn't really thinking of that, but I just still want to be the first chick in the NBA. But I'm like, you know what, that's, that's okay. That's okay. So then I kept playing basketball and then um, played and uh, walked on to an NAIA team, but then got in a car accident. And that, that dream of playing basketball even in college kind of dissipated um, because I, I got in a car accident. And the car accident caused me to actually just do what most ex-athletes do. They play golf. So I joined the golf team. Um, so anyways... So, so, so just that desire, though. I'm telling you, I loved basketball. I had that desire to play. 
And I had that desire to do something, and I, I thought for sure, you know, in my family, I'm the tallest of four girls, and so I'm 5'7". All my other sisters, for whatever reason, are 5'2". And so I was like, Jesus, I was born to play basketball and be the first girl in the NBA, okay, and maybe not, maybe in the WNBA, okay, maybe NAIA, oh, or NCAA, okay, maybe in NAIA, or maybe not, maybe I'm just going to boss it up in enrolls, and that's what ended up happening. Um, so... Anyways, but then something happened just about, um, just a few weeks ago, and it's going to sound kind of funny, but I feel like it was God speaking to me in a meeting. So my friend Rochelle, I don't know if you know who she is, She's, she leads worship here a lot, her and her family attend here, and they have an organization called City of Refuge, and she's like, listen, Chrissy, I really feel like you're supposed to be at this meeting that... Um, where we're going to tell a few people about the plans of our building and how we're going to be, you know, housing all these families in it to support people in our neighborhood and change the community, all these things. So I'm like, okay, I'm there. I'll be there. I'll do anything for you. You're my friend. And so here I am coming to the meeting, really don't know why I'm there, but I'm like supporting a friend. And then I'm sitting next to, um, if anybody was a Sacramento Monarch fan back in the day, I was sitting next to Ruthie Bolton, and there's like five of us around the table. And I'm like, hello. I'm like, hello, first of all, jacked arms. I mean, she was, she's like 51 years old, and she is ripped out of her mind, okay? And so I'm just, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I actually didn't know who she was, so I was filled in. <laughs> but she was a two-time gold medalist, and she played on multiple, I think it was like nine or something, nine national um, teams that, like, that represented the United States, and she was, you know, all-team, all-first-team, all-league kind of player, okay? So she's an all-star. And I know this sounds funny, but in that moment, I was just like, God, are you somehow fulfilling a weird desire in me to be, and somehow using that desire for basketball and that love for basketball by partnering me with the woman who's going to do this event that's going to bring hope to a community, and here's the thing, I know it's a silly kind of story, and it's like a childhood dream to meet somebody from the WNBA, whatever. Um, I know WNBA isn't as cool to a lot of people in the room, but that's cool. Um, but to me, it was, and I felt like it served a purpose. And Caleb had said this recently in a message that, you know, God doesn't waste a moment of your life. God doesn't waste a thought or a dream or, or a desire that you want. But my, the impact that I wanted to make shifted a little bit, right? It shifted as I was connected to what God was calling me to. Instead of playing at a school, uh, NCAA school, I ended up playing at an NAIA school for like, right, for just a hot second before getting in a car accident. But it was a private Christian school. And the trajectory of my life was going somewhere else. And so I just want to tell you today and encourage you today that there are some things that you probably want to do in your life. And there are probably some dreams that you feel have been forgotten. But I believe that God doesn't waste a moment. And he wants you to make a great impact. And he's going to accomplish those things through you. But we have to stay rooted to what he's called us to. So that we can understand and recognize the grace he has on us to accomplish the purposes that he has for us. Not just the desires we have for ourselves. So I really believe that this message... It's talking all about being in Christ, being in Christ, rooted in him, so that we can make the impact that he wants us to make in this world. 
And so today, I want you to recognize that living a life of impact can only happen if we're rooted in Jesus Christ. If you fail to live rooted in Jesus, then you fail to grow. And you're not going to move from your own personal nature, human nature, your own understanding into what God's revelation and plan is for you, okay? And so we're going to go to Colossians 2, 6 through 15, kind of go verse by verse. And let me just read it and then we'll dive in. Got it? Okay. Verse 6. I love it, guys. We're all so laid back here. Just chill, talk to me, ask me questions. Actually, don't. You'll distract me, okay? (laughs) Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt with, with, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would illuminate our path. God, that you would help us understand what you're trying to do in the deepest parts of our hearts so that we might give you glory publicly. So Jesus, have your way today. May your word, not my words, be illuminated and revealed to us tonight in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So just to kind of catch you up to speed from Colossians 1 all the way to Colossians 2, 5, um, Caleb has kind of told you that Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians and he's kind of filling him, them in or trying to encourage them that they need to live in Christ and this new gospel and this, this gospel that they've just received. So a lot of them are Christians, but they're fighting against two things. They're fighting against this pull towards elemental spirits and philosophies that surround them, that have been taught all taught to them before Christ and understanding this free gift of grace. But then they're also being, these are Gentiles, right, Colossians, but they're also being bombarded with the teachings of Judaism and all these moral and ceremonial laws. They're like, which ones do I believe or do I carry out? Which ones am I supposed to do? Should I be carrying out those laws? Because all those people kind of believe in Jesus. You know, so they're trying to figure out what to do. And, and, and pretty much Colossians, or excuse me, Paul is just encouraging the Colossians that, hey, listen, live rooted. Live rooted and built up in Jesus. But the first phrase in verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So the Colossians, they have received Christ Jesus. This is to the church of Colossians. Or, of, oh, I always mess this up. Colossi, Colossi, the Colossians. So therefore... Therefore, and if you've ever done any scripture reading or studying 
oftentimes when you see the word therefore, you need to understand why it's there for, what it's there for. And so I kind of have this quick illustration for you to understand everything that happened in Colossians 1 all the way to now. But essentially, there's this mysterious God, almost like mysterious. It's kind of like this vase. You know that in it, in it is all power, all deity, all authority, all, all this wonderful character and nature. The nature of God is, is here, okay? And it's kind of been a mystery to us. It's kind of been hidden to us. And this, is the, this, this God that we're worshiping um, is a little bit of a mystery. But then what God did was he sent down his son to live like we lived as humans. And God, in his all-knowing, wonderful wisdom, poured everything about him, all his power, all his authority, all his deity, all his nature, all his love, all his peace, everything of God was poured in to something that we can actually see, understand, and touch. So this is Jesus. He poured him, God poured himself into Jesus. And so we understand who God is because of who Jesus is. And then what happens, and you guys, this is the third service. This poor plant has received so much water. Forgot to clean that out. So what happens is Jesus, he died on a cross, right? And he poured his life out for us. And he poured himself and left his Holy Spirit in us so that we could show the world his greatness. So we are the ones who are going to show the world who Jesus is. People know Jesus because of us, because of our nature, because of our character, because of the way we forgive, because of the way we love, because of the way we have mercy, because of the way we are generous, because of the way we give. So therefore... Because of all this, because of who God is and what he did by sending Jesus on this earth and what Jesus did and left with us, we are these plants. So therefore, live rooted, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. That is the instruction that's been left for us. So today we're going to be talking about how we can live a rooted life because this is the plan and purpose for us. This is how we're going to make the impact that God wants us to make on this planet. This is how we're going to give him glory. This is how we're going to please our God. This is how we're going to show the world who he is. Live rooted and built up. I love how in these just 10 scriptures, um, verse 6 through 15, nine times does it say in him or with him. This clear, this clear vase, this clear plastic thing, I'm not a green thumb. I don't even know what really it's called. It's called a saucer, not a green thumb. <laughs> this represents Jesus. If we're going to be rooted in him, we have to be covered in Jesus. And guess what? When you receive Christ, the free gift of grace, we're covered. We're covered. So let me, let me go on. What does it mean to live a rooted life? And I love what Banning Leapshur, he's a pastor here in town, and he actually leads a church and a global ministry. And he said this in one of his books, God is not interested in developing your vision first. He's interested in developing you. 
He's interested in developing you. Kind of like, you know, I wanted to have this impact, but wait, God developed me for between third grade all the way up until now to do and accomplish a different purpose than I had originally conceived. He's less concerned about your vision and the impact you want to make and more concerned about what's happening in your heart. What's happening in your heart and what's happening underneath the surface. He's wanting to develop you sometimes in the hiddenness, in the hiddenness and the anonymity that life can be. And so I want you to just visualize this. Before this came to be, Jesus poured into us, and there's so much that happens underneath, right, before this happens, before this impact happens. There's so much that's happening underneath here. But there are some things that can resist this rooted life. There are things that are going to want you to not be rooted. And it's two things, and you'll find them in verses 9 and 10. Or no, you'll find it in 8. Verse 8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. If you're taking notes, one of the influences that can resist a rooted life is philosophies and empty deceit. In other versions of the Bible, it says vain and empty deceit. So these philosophies that are according to human tradition, which you know a lot about that, human traditions where it's like, I just need to get better, I need to get stronger, I need to become more enlightened, I need more personal growth, I need ascension, all these things, that's human tradition. And then there's elemental spirits of the world. There's other gods and spirits, again, that the, 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 the Colossians were fighting against this, this knowledge of all these other gods that they worshipped in the past before Christ came. And they're just, they're, they're, they're like, I want to be rooted in Christ, but then what about all this other stuff that I was raised in and this tradition that I understood and these philosophies that I studied and, worship, and gods that I worshipped, those were resisting a rooted life. And then it says, according to anything outside of Jesus, excuse me, anything outside of Jesus can be a resistance to a rooted life. It could be the wind and the waves. It can be the, you know, it could be the kids tugging at these leaves that are trying to pull you out of a rooted life. Philosophy's an empty deceit and this idea that we have to ascend to something, we have to grow in this enlightenment, we have to grow in this knowledge, and we have to be in a, we have to do certain things in order to attain right standing with a God or with other humans. That is all rooted in fear. That's rooted in fear. And when things are rooted in fear, we all know that it's the opposite of love. And Christ is love, so we need to be rooted in love, not in fear. But then there's another outside resistance that's coming against the church in church and gosh, honey, where are you at? Coloss. Thank you. It's Coloss, guys. <laughs> and the church of Coloss. I keep on wanting to say church of Colossians, but that's not right. So there's another thing that's coming in resistance to living that rooted life, and it's legalism. So they've come to know Jesus, and then they're like, but there's all these Israelites and all these people who, like, followed what Jesus f supposedly fulfilled. So am I supposed to, like, be circumcised or uncircumcised? I know when we came to that part, you're like, great, what are we talking about? Why did you get weird? Like, please explain this to me. But it's been something that's been in the scriptures and that we've talked about since Deuteronomy. Okay, and so this idea that we don't have to 
change our outside behavior. This is what legalism is. It's changing our outside behavior in order for us to achieve right standing with Jesus, right standing with God. And what Paul is reminding them is that Jesus broke all of that expectation when he died on a cross and he fulfilled the law. So no longer do you have to do all these things outwardly, all these behavioral stuff, all this, um, all these particularly ceremonial laws, keep the moral laws, yes, but not all these ceremonial laws anymore. Don't worry about that stuff anymore because you've already been spiritually circumcised. I've cut things off of you the moment you received the grace of God. You've cut, he's cut them off. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to maintain control, control of like how we can be and operate in front of God anymore. We just have to receive the free gift of grace and he'll take care of the rest. Again, it's this deep issue that God's wanting to do in our hearts. He's trying to cultivate and root things out. And he's trying to say, don't try to control your life and, and win or achieve or deserve my forgiveness. It's free. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. We sing about it all the time. You don't have to do anything anymore. Just receive my grace and I'll do the work from the inside out. So these are things that resist us from leaving, living a rooted life. And legalism, again, it's rooted in fear. Don't try to control in this day and age. Let's not try to control our outside behaviors anymore. Let's just allow God to do the work he needs to do in our hearts. And sometimes that means healing in our hearts so that we no longer act or behave a way that we don't like and we try to switch it up. It's not about those, that anymore. It's about what does God want to heal in your heart so that you can walk out this life healthy and mature. Jesus plus philosophies and legalism just leads to confusion. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing means you get a full life, a fully alive life. It is a life worth living, Jesus plus nothing. Nothing added, he is enough. He is our sufficiency. Because he is supreme, he is sufficient as well. So how do we live a rooted life? If we know these things are coming against us, how do we live a rooted life? Number one, we stay connected to the source. Somebody say the source. The source. The source source in this illustration is the light, right? And when the light is, when the plant is placed in the light, not only does sunshine come on it and all the vitamins and wonderful, beautiful things. Again, I'm not a green thumb. I don't totally understand. But okay, you know. Um, <laughs> so all this comes in, but it also changes the temperature around it and allows it to grow. But again, sometimes when this didn't even exist, even in the hiddenness, the lights and the atmosphere was doing something to this pot. And I love that it says in verse 12, we're buried with him in baptism. Sometimes when we're buried with him, how many people have been water baptized in this place? Okay. If you're considering it, I just, I implore you to do so because it's the next step of obedience in our faith. And you, you understand when you make a public confession that you just understand what God has done in your life. And it's a step of obedience. And when you obey, there's just freedom 
that you find in obedience. So anyways, so what happens is when you're, when you go underwater, you're buried, right? You're buried in, with him, you're buried with Christ, and then you are alive in him when you come up over the water, uh, come out of the water, and you're made a new creation, right? And so I want us to think about this idea that we're buried, buried with him. Sometimes when we're buried and we recognize all of our sin and we recognize all of our sin nature and we realize all these things that need to fall off us, if we could just allow him to be with us when we're buried, we recognize that we're not, he's not burying us in order to kill us. He's planting us sometimes in a hidden spot. And that's where he works out all that junk. Sometimes in hiddenness, sometimes in seasons of healing, sometimes in anonymity, that's where he does the deepest work in our hearts. And I I believe that when we're buried with him, it's like God's depositing seeds in the soil. And he's saying, but stay connected to me. Stay connected to the source. Stay connected to the light. And trust that in my timing, you will become who I want you to become. And you are becoming. And you are who I want you to be. But being connected to the source means being in prayerful devotion. Matthew 6, 6 says this. Again, I love this idea of being buried and being in secret and being hidden and being in anonymity. But Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I love it in the message version. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. I'm going to say that again. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. So you won't be tempted to present yourself in front of other people, a good Christian. So you won't be tempted to live and, and, and attach yourself to legalism. So you won't be tempted to be in this behavior in front of people just to make yourself feel better. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Isn't that beautiful? He's so kind to us to do that kind of work in secret. That's how kind the father is. But stay rooted, connected to the source by devotion to prayer And sometimes that means being in our secret place, our secret place, allowing him to do the work that needs to be done in our hearts. That's how we live more rooted, number one. And number two, serving. Serving, I believe, is like the soil of a pot. Serving. You know, a lot of other religions, I was saying this earlier, all about enlightenment, even ascension. I've even been hearing it from somebody close to me about this idea of becoming an ascended master, And, you know, the thing about these other religions, again, it's all about your own personal, almost like self-serving growth. So you feel more at peace and you're going to get there if you just realize all these things in yourself. And, um, And I'm not laughing because I'm like, oh, that's stupid, because I think there is, that's innate in us, in our human nature. But if we're in him, we realize that's not necessary anymore. We realize if we're in Jesus, he reveals things to us. He's all that we need. And so, you know, Christianity isn't just another religion. 
It's a relationship with Jesus, and it's about becoming more like him. The most enlightened version of ourselves is fulfilling the purpose that our creator gave to us and the person who loved us so much that he died on a cross for us. That's the most enlightened place that we can be. And if we stop trying to just ascend to something and try to achieve something in our own strength and just live rooted in him, then we get to a place where we just want to be more like him. So if we want to live a rooted life, it's about being more like him and serving. Because here's the thing, Mark 10, 4, it says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is now our mission, to serve. That's what Jesus came to do. He served. He didn't come to just rule and reign in the way that we wanted him to, humans wanted him to, to take over and take charge. And no, we came to serve. He came to serve. So we need to get to that place where we are serving, sometimes in anonymity, sometimes in the, without the, without this all here, without the applause of man. You know, um, one of my favorite books is by one of my mentors in college. Her name is Alicia Bricholi. And I recommend this most number one recommended book that I, I give to people or share with people. And it's called Anonymous. And an anonymity is something that is celebrated in this book. And I think it's something that we don't celebrate enough in this day and age. Um, can I get an amen on that? And so, and we all fall into it. I am not, you know, I'm not counting myself that I never struggle with that. But the cool thing about this book is that the author, she likens Jesus' life to the to an iceberg, and the captains of the sea are so scared of the tip of the iceberg, but they're not actually scared of that tip of the iceberg. They just know that that indicates, that tip of the iceberg indicates the monstrosity that's hidden. And it's a monstrosity that will tear up their boat, even the Titanic, you know? It'll, It'll destroy any ship that comes near it. And so she likens that to Jesus' life. Essentially, we haven't seen, we don't see Jesus for 30 years of his life, but for a few moments when he was born, when he's in the temple, right? And then the three years that we see, though, is this powerful ministry, this powerful miracle-working human who is indeed de- deity in human form. And, and he's, he's like turning loaves and fishes to, oh my gosh, I did this this morning, two fishes and five loaves. Is that it? Five loaves? You guys, somebody help me out here. Five loaves and two fishes. You guys, come on. (laughs) And is feeding thousands and performing all these miracles for three years. But the rest of his life was done in anonymity. And here's the thing that I'm wanting to tell you and that what he's wanting to tell you, especially when it comes to serving, sometimes if we want the powerful ministry and the public ministry that Jesus had, we have to be in anonymity and serve, serve the lowly, not seek platform, but to serve the lowly and be that person that craves anonymity more than we crave crave the applause of man. So I just really believe 
today that we need to be people not just who serve. I mean, there's many ways that you know I'm going to tell you this because this is a plug. Next steps every week. Go in there, find your personal giftings, join a team. There's many places to serve, but sometimes serving isn't just that Sunday morning everyday thing. It's the dying to your dreams, dying to yourself that God is calling us to. So serve. If we want to live a more rooted life, serve. And number three, find authentic community. You're like, okay, these are like, it seems like the same three points every week. And you know what? Maybe they are because they're so important to living a rooted life. So that we can be the type of people that when the winds and the waves come, we're rooted. We're not falling off and breaking. You know how many times I've done this to this plant this morning? But it's enduring, and it looks great, and it's going to look great in my living room. But it's rooted, and it can withstand all of this and all this water that's been poured into it. So we need to serve. I love how in verse 7 it says, be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, just as you were taught. It's not like, you know, there was this revelation just from Jesus and God and human, that person by in and of themselves. It's like, no, he was said just as you were taught. So I believe that what he's saying here is if you want to live a rooted, built up life, then we're going to be surrounded by community who's going to contribute to the truth that Jesus is speaking over us. Because here's the thing. Here's the really cool thing. Is that Jesus is in all of us. And sometimes it doesn't just take this person, but it takes this person who represents Jesus to pour into you, to hold you accountable, to correct you, to encourage you, to speak some truth and love in you, to forgive you. We need community, we need people. We were not meant to live this life alone or in isolation. The enemy and the, the enemy of your soul is trying to steal, kill and destroy. And he'll do that by taking people and community away from you first so that you're lost in just your own thoughts and what you think God maybe might be speaking and then even your anger and your disillusionment and all this other stuff. You're called to be a part of community. And here's the thing, here's what it says. Here's what it says in Psalm 92, 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. When we're planted and rooted in the house of God, and maybe not just this house, but when we have believers around us who are gonna encourage us in our faith and help establish us in our faith, then we're gonna be, be the type of people who are gonna create and make the impact that was planned for us from the beginning of time. So who is your community? Who are the people that are pouring into you and contributing to your rootedness so that when things get hard, you're still standing? Who are the people who are gonna help cut and prune you so that you can continue to grow? Who is your community? I implore you to find that community. Maybe it's even here, I hope so. We love you. We love everybody who's here. <laughs> if not, find those people who are going to speak truth and love to you. Because life is hard. 
But here's the thing, Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If we are committed to living a rooted life, prayerful devotion, a lifestyle of serving and, a, and belonging to a community and an authentic community, then we will resist the outside philosophies and avoid legalism and we will become fully alive, fully alive. But you know, all that stuff happens in the rootedness. Following Jesus is what a friend of mine said, or Rochelle, I mentioned her earlier. earlier. Following Jesus isn't just some people just think it's all about less earthly possessions. Like if I'm gonna live for Jesus, I'm probably gonna have to give all my money away to the church. Jason told me I had to tithe, you know, and I'm just gonna live a humble life, impoverished possibly, you know, and it's like all about these earthly possessions when I throw everything to the side and follow Jesus. And I, I don't think that's what it is. Sometimes the great cost Sometimes the greatest cost to following Jesus is the healing that needs to take place in our hearts. Because here's the thing. Jesus says, this, is, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When we are not healed inside, when we don't allow ourselves to be in prayer devo- prayerful devotion, if we are just, if we're not serving one another, then we're just licking our wounds and hurting and hurting and not serving anybody and just thinking about ourselves. We're too wounded to actually serve. And then if we're not in a community, because we're kind of like, I don't want everybody to know anything about me. I don't want them to help me in this healing process. I'm just gonna be quiet and hide things and be by myself. We're not gonna live a rooted life or the life that God wants us to live, a life that's fully alive and the life that is worth living. He wants us to thrive. Because here's what happens. When we recognize that God has canceled out our record of sin, and, and, and he's canceled out that debt, he triumphs over all those other things, those philosophies and that legalism that says we have to be a certain way or do a certain thing in order to attain and attain right standing. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't have to do anything. If you would just receive the free gift of grace, then I can, I can post you to a tree and say, hey, listen, this person received my grace. She didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to do anything. I have, I am... I triumphed over every single philosophy and religion and legalism. I've triumphed over all that. But our healing is so imperative to giving a great testimony of what Jesus can do when you receive the grace of God. Your testimony, your testimony and your sin nailed to a cross will bring you, will make you and create you make you a more mature Christian. But sometimes that cost takes healing. And sometimes it's just like, we can't receive a free gift if we are not healed up. So let's get to the place where we've received the free gift and we've allowed for God to say, man, this person is rooted in me. Now they can go and make the impact that I've designed them for. There are some seasons where I'm gonna have to cut back There's some season where it gets hard, but I know that if she's rooted in me, she'll make an eternal impact because I am a God, a God who made an eternal impact. 
the greatest impact you can ever make can only ever be in him, the one who made it, who changed eternity because of what he did and how he sent his Jesus on his son to die for us. So let's live a rooted life, amen. Let's live a rooted life, grow to be mature people, healed in Jesus' name, always in process, growing in him. And the more mature and more that we're growing in him, the more the kingdom of God will grow because healthy things grow and healthy things are attractive. So let's get to that place in Jesus' name. Would you bow your heads in this place?